Welcome to Living on Purpose. I'm Mark Pumphrey, along with my co-host, Dr. Christy Stewart, coming to you from the Circle City, Indianapolis, Indiana. And you know, Christy, we are all going through a rough time right now. And sometimes those emotions just swell up on us and we don't know what to do with them. And you actually came up with a great list, powerful habits, really, of strong people. We do a lot of lists, and we like the list because... <laughs> I do, I love lists. Well, yeah, because they, they actually give us a structure, right? Correct. Yeah, I had somebody actually send me this list. I don't okay. even remember who it was, because this was pre-pandemic when they sent me the list. Oh. <laughs> so I don't remember who sent it to me, but it is eight powerful habits of emotionally strong people. And I thought, you know, everybody is struggling. Everybody. You know, we, we got through the pandemic, we thought, and then now we're back on the mask wearing, and we're... You know, everybody's still up in arms. Numbers are going back up. And it's a tough time. And it's a tough time for everybody for all different reasons. Well, sure. I mean, even the other day, you know, we're, I was talking to a mutual friend of ours. And I love working from home, you know, because I've been at home for a little while. And the other day, I was just a little down about being inside the house. Oh. And, you know, at first I was just like, man, I love this. And then yeah. the other day, I was just like, I have nowhere to go. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, and I do. Uh, so it, it kind of it's affecting me. Even the person that I was all yay raw about working from home, and now all of a sudden it's kind of flipped on me a little bit. Well, well none of us are seeing our friends and our family as we had in the past mm-hmm. and you know, we're missing the people that we're not with and it's tough. It's a tough time. Well, especially like when we're talking about habits and that mm-hmm. routine that you got up every day, you did your thing, whatever that case may be. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm saving a ton of money on gas and mileage on my car, but... There you go. And eating out. And eating out, obviously, yeah, yes. Yeah, I have not eaten out <laughs> inside a restaurant yet. Oh, now, I have done that, but sometimes it's just like, yeah, it's, it's time to get it to go. Yeah, there you go. I've, I've eaten outside at a table twice, but I have not eaten indoors yet. But yeah, so it's been a little bit hard. And I think that this is great for people to hear right now because we do need some habits to change and to replace them with things that could be emotionally strengthening. Exactly. And some things to just remember. Some of the stuff for me was I, I just needed to, oh, okay, yes, I need to remember that. And I did find like research for all of them. So oh, fantastic, it's not just yeah. us sitting here. It is based on. Uh, scientific research that people have went out and studied all these eight things. So I think that they're just today is going to be a day of remembrance right. <laughs> and, and new things to practice and realize um, we've all gotten stuck. We're all gotten depressed. We all miss our people. And these are maybe some things that we can sit around and think about and maybe practice a little bit while we have more time. I was going to say, we definitely <laughs> have, <laughs> we have time, time to practice, practice it. <laughs> so let's jump into number one. Okay. Um, of the eight powerful habits of emotionally strong people, number one is they don't sit around and feel sorry. Yes. Okay. Um, I, and I think that that's true on any level, whether we're in the pandemic or otherwise. People, I would think, do not do that. You know, if, they, if they're emotionally strong, yeah, they don't feel sorry for themselves. Or they don't sit around and feel sorry for themselves. Well, stated on here, when faced with bad situations, the emotionally strong don't sit around and wallow in their sorrow. So I kind of looked it up. You know, I love definitions. Mm-hmm. So by definition, uh, it means sorry or sorrow means feeling self-pity for oneself due to circumstances or treatments perceived as unfair are unexceptionally harmful. Ooh, I like the word perceived in there. Exactly. So the difference between self-pity and sadness was sadness is normal right? To be sad. And I think we're all sad that we miss our people, Mm -hmm. right? 
but uh, it, it's a healthy emotion. There's nothing wrong with the feeling as long as it's for a while, right? But self-pity is when you feel sorry for yourself and when you get into a sense of hopelessness and helplessness. So oh. there's the difference between a healthy sadness mm-hmm. and a unhealthy self-pity of I'm hopeless and I'm helpless. And I'll tell you, over the last several months, I have gotten in plenty of sadness and I have gotten stuck in plenty of hopeless and helpless too. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm starting to ride that cup, like I just said earlier, yeah. but yeah, it's just, it, it, when we talk about self-pity, I'm definitely, I don't feel like I'm there yet. There have been times in my life, obviously, that I have, but I think that's really good for people to hear that perceived, you know. Yes, that and, perceived. And it's to move through it and feel it, right? It's uh, We've done tons of shows on mm-hmm. that, that you have to feel what you feel, but you don't have to turn into those feelings. So oh, if point. you're, if you, just because you're feeling sad does not mean you have to roll into self-pity. And even if you're in a state, again, I've said I've, I've been there over the last few months, in a state of self-pity, you can roll out of that because it, just because you are having a moment doesn't mean that that's who you are. Well, I think my mom, I think I've said that in other shows, my mom says, it's okay to have a little pity party. But you're not going to build a house there. Exactly. (laughs) And that's okay. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to have self-pity, I think, for a minute. But it is normal to be sad. And when you allow yourself to feel, I think you also need to really check yourself that you're not beating yourself up. Right? And have Mm -hmm. too much of harsh criticism around what it is you are sad or even your self-pity for. And I think that's one area we build a house. Yeah. Right? We build a house because we get that 76% of our self-talk into the negative mm-hmm. and the shoulds and shouldn'ts and what-ifs. Instead of actually feeling whatever we're feeling, we then start criticizing ourselves and beating ourselves up for what we're feeling. And you need to feel what you feel, you know, to move through it. What I think it's important to say, too, is that if you're sitting over there and you're having all this criticism about yourself, let's say something in the past. It's in the past. You cannot change it. Right. Feeling your feelings is different than you replaying that the old tune in your mind over and over again for something you cannot change, right? Right. Feeling sad is in the present. Feeling self-pity is in the past. They're, or the future. It's point. not in the... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, there was a quote from Psychology Today, and I, I love this, and it said... Feelings that haven't been fully, consciously, willingly, and compassionately experienced can't be resolved. Yeah. I thought that was really powerful, and it really stuck with me that you really have to, again, fully, consciously, willingly, and compassionately experience those feelings to move through them and to resolve them. Well, because I think so often when we're self-criticizing, we're only feeling one emotion, anger, you know, right. sadness, whatever that one emotion, we're not going through any kind of spectrum of them. So this is a really great quote, you know, and you got to fully feel it. Right. So then that, and consciously too, because most times when I'm replaying something in my my mind, obviously, I'm angry about it. You know, I, I'm not feeling any other emotion attached to it. Anger, I'm good. <laughs> well, and the next, willingly, right? Over the last several months, we're not willingly doing these things you know i'm not willingly wearing a mask all the time mm-hmm. into grocery stores because i enjoy it i'm doing it because i have to right i mean it's a conscious choice but I, I have to to keep myself safe other people safe to be you know a responsible citizen right if you right. will um 
and because it's required now. But yeah, so you have to willingly experience those things too. And I like the word compassionately because then it gives you that sense that it's okay to do it. Yeah, you well, know? it's okay to be angry about it. You yeah. Know? I mean, how many times have you walked up to the door and been like, oh, I got to walk back to the car and get my mask? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, you have to be okay with it and compassionate with yourself and feeling that, okay, it's okay to feel this way. It's okay. And it's okay. To let go of that feeling, mm-hmm. you know, too. Not just feel it, but to let go of it. Well, and I think that when we say compassionately, that is a very good term to say, how often have you been angry about something and then you're angry because you're angry about it? Right. right. You know, all the time. All the time. Yeah, especially and in this pandemic. Yeah, all the time. Exactly. So we, we don't, we're not compassionate to ourselves for feeling that feeling. Exactly. Common problem, I think. Oh. And then we get in the negative self-talk. We build the house there. <laughs> we get stuck there. We bring other people into it with us. We bring them down oh, it's with a house us. Party it sometimes. is. It, it, it has been. And I think it's so easy in the state of the world that we're in right now. You can't even turn on the TV. You know, I mean, no. you're checking the numbers. How many people died today? It is a very sad time right now. I very mean, sad time. So on a happier note, according to psychology experts... There are two ways to stop feeling sorry for yourself. Two primary ways. Okay. One is to move the body so you can shift your mindset. So, again, they say work out. Work it out. Whatever that means. Go for a walk. Work out. Do something. Move the body. Get up off the couch and start doing something. And the second one is doing something kind for someone else. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah. Whether it be, you know, even a phone call to a friend mm-hmm. or, you know, one of the things that we did during the whole lockdown is that we took stuff around to people. And that was fantastic. So we, we kept our social distance. We never actually contacted with anybody, but we were able to connect in a way with, with the people that we cared about that we missed during that time. And that, I think, was huge. But those are the two biggest ways to do that is move, literally move your body Get up will automatically shift your mindset and do something kind for someone else. Get out of yourself and do something nice for someone else. I got to say, and you can really wrap it up in just those two things. Oh, exactly. Wow. Another way that the research had indicated that it was okay to feel your feelings and Mm -hmm. to not get stuck in Mm self-pity and so forth was to learn from your mistakes. So simple, but so hard to do sometimes. Well, we talked about this before we recorded the show. It was interesting. I found this uh, UCLA research that looked at the Japanese um, is the number one in math in the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, and America is actually towards the bottom in developing countries. And they studied eighth grade teachers in Japan and in the United States on how they teach math. And it was fascinating because what they found was that in the United States, you have right and you have wrong, right? Two and two is four. Or 300 times 23 is whatever that number is. 7,001. No, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So in Japan, they did the same thing, but they they didn't give you the number. And they had kids um, figure it out on their own. And instead of saying, okay, what's the answer? Like we do, right? We walk up to the board and we do it on the board in front of the whole class. And the answer is either right or it's wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. In Japan, they don't do that. They go around the room and they discuss how they got the answer. So Joey might have gotten the answer by, we were talking about boxes, right? 300 times 23, 300 times 10, 300 times 10, 300 times Mm -hmm. 3, and then you add those things together. Somebody else may do it another way. 
somebody else, you know, in the class may figure it out, even even not necessarily even got the quote unquote right answer, but how did they do it? Right. And they discuss it. And then they look at all these other options of how to do it. And so it's much easier for them as a society to ask for help because that's how they're taught. They're taught to collaborate with each other and they're taught that everybody does it a little bit different and that's okay. We're not taught that. That is so there's shame, true. guilt, there is failure that comes to when you come from a society that is either right or it's wrong, then whenever it's not quote unquote right, that means that it has to be wrong. And so then we're wrong all the time. Our 76% of negative thought comes from that comparing ourselves really to other people. And if we're right and they're wrong, there is no other ground there. UCLA came back and said that that is the biggest difference between why we're not so good in math and they are because it really comes down to a collaborative relationship and it rolls over into every other area of our cultures and their cultures as well, why they're far superior doing things than we are at this point because we are a country of people who fear failure. I was going to say, yeah, because we definitely live in our little island that we have to know everything. And we've talked about this in past shows that not everybody can know everything about everything. So in other words, that collaboration put into a, a context that you feel okay to collaborate, to ask questions, to know that you are could be quote unquote wrong. And that's okay. And that's okay. Right. Because there's all kinds of different ways to do it. Oh yeah. There's yep. a thousand ways to get from here to California. Yep, exactly. Our entire school system is not designed to teach us as a population that we are taught that it is either right or it's wrong you know it's an a or it's an a b and we're taught to compare ourselves to other people right you got an f on this test sally sue got an a on this test she is smart you are not um she is a success you are a failure and she did better you did worse and then we take that as part of our mindset because that's what we're continually repeated over and over and over for 12 years of our education. And then we take that into the rest of our life. And then we reaffirm that by every quote unquote mistake that we have. And then we fail to ask for help because we don't want somebody else to think that we're stupid. Exactly. We already feel stupid enough. We don't need them to reaffirm it for (laughs) us. Exactly true. That is fascinating. Yeah. There's a whole, maybe we should do a whole show on that because there's a lot of research on that. That was really fascinating on different mindsets and how the mind actually works and processes that. It was. Really well, I think it'd be interesting. interesting for people to know that what they feel, according to themselves, that they are not necessarily wrong. They just may have never collaborated with anybody to find a better route versus being wrong. Just right. wrong. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. I love it. Well, on to number two. You'll love this one. Okay. Drama doesn't get the best of them. Um, again especially now in the world that we're in in this political state and everything that we're in right now drama is everywhere Um, but emotionally strong people don't pay attention to the drama and they don't let it affect them and i don't think that is possible that it doesn't affect them at all right i think it just really doesn't control them i think that's a fair because i think in this i don't care who we are in this planet right now even other countries are being affected by our negativity in this Mm -hmm. country so we all definitely have to be affected and that doesn't it doesn't matter which side of that coin you're on we are negatively being affected Mm -hmm. period i mean everything from the protests whether you agree with them or you don't it's still affecting our country 
I agree 100%. And I think that that's a very valid point that it doesn't control them. I don't know how many times I've done, I've said, well, it doesn't really affect me just as long as it doesn't cost me time, talent, or treasure. But it doesn't control me as a better representation of that. That's absolutely true. Right, exactly. And that's tough, I think, sometimes, especially when you're around people that are very (laughs) dramatic. And some personality traits are just more of that than others, I think. Oh, and and some people love it. They feed off of it. We've got reality shows that are totally based on it. But they understand that drama is not the path to happiness. And it was interesting that the Journal of Personality and Individual Differences said that people with personalities seeking that drama, that they see the world as happening to them, which makes them reactive to perceived slights and errors. So that makes sense that when you're a drama queen, if you will, that you are oversensitive, you are overperceiving, you are overreacting, but that that is perfectly normal. According to Journal of Personality and Individual Differences, people that seek out drama are very reactive. Totally makes sense. Yep. I mean, how many people, and I know that, that some of the listeners are like, man, I know Sally, Bob, somebody, they, they're, they're thinking the exact same guy. He overreacts over everything. Yeah. You know, I just asked him if he wanted croutons on his salad. Right. <laughs> well, and uh, again, research indicates that that is a normal reaction. And it's funny because the University of Texas, who knew that there was a test, a three main factor test on how much drama you want or create in your life? It's actually a test, okay? (laughs) It measures three different things. Interpersonal manipulation, basically a person's willingness to influence other people to behave in a manner serving their manipulative goals. Okay. Um, impulsive outspokenness is the second one, a person's compulsion to speak out and share opinions, even when inappropriate and without regard to social consequences. We know those people, right? Those mm-hmm. drama they don't care what they say. They don't care if they upset you or not. And the third is persistent perceived victimhood. To constantly perceive oneself as a victim of everyday life circumstances that many people would dismiss. So those are the three defining criteria for this test that measures how addicted to you are your drama. And I'd like to point out really quickly that I did, I've never seen this test, so I'm not sure, you know, all that goes into mm-hmm. it. But I promise you, you will see that before the person that's doing this to you ever will. Oh. Somebody that's manipulating you or impulsively outspokenness or it, that victimhood, they don't believe that they're any of those things and you could point it out to them you could record them give it back to them and they hear nothing (laughs) like that well probably because of the third one right there because they're persistently perceived as a victimhood right so Mm -hmm. you're only attacking them you're only beating them up they're not taking responsibility for their own stuff no not at all yep part of this too is that they learn from the drama right if you're an emotionally strong person you learn from the drama sometimes (laughs) Um, though we do carry other people's water, um, and that gets us into other people's drama. Um, we get caught up in their stuff. But there was another great quote that I got on this topic, and it says, Life will always involve many fires that we feel desperate to put out. But if we can learn not to fan them, they may actually be able to light our way. That's a great Isn't that point. great? Yeah. So a little bit of drama is okay, <laughs> you know, but if we can just not fan it, then maybe those many fires in our life 
will actually lead us out of the darkness. Powerful, I think. Powerful. Thought. And I got to tell you, one thing, at least for me, is learning from the drama is great, but you got to stop the drama to yeah. learn from it. Or you need to walk away from the drama if you're not one of those people that like to get involved in it. I think that these are great ways for people to understand that you don't have to live in this state. Right. You know, if you want to learn from your drama, exit yourself from the drama. Exactly. As best you can. As yeah. best you can, yeah, yeah obviously. Exactly. In any way that you see fit to do so. Well, the third one of the eight powerful habits of emotionally strong people, things don't make them happy. So we're talking about possessions. possessions. Yeah, we've okay. done shows on this, mm-hmm. right? We did we, we did a show on unhappiness and we did a show on happiness. So um, you can always go listen to those. That We have whole <laughs> shows on that. But we've all heard the terms, right? You can't buy your way to happiness. No, but you can sure rent it for what? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You know, we've also heard that happiness doesn't come from another person, both of which are true, but both can temporarily give you a little bit, you know, and and I think that people do bring happy moments to the table. It's just a matter of we have to accept that moment. They can't make Mm -hmm. us anything. They can't make us miserable and they can't make us happy unless we choose to do that. Yes, cognitively, I'm sitting here saying that, but emotionally, that's tough because people do it can have actions to make us very unhappy. Oh, you know, yes. and people can bring moments to us that are very, very happy moments. But where do you go with that? I think, and that's Dr. Stewart's opinion. Where do you go from that? It's not a matter of the initial moment of happy or unhappy. What do you do with it? Mm-hmm. And does that take you to a longer state of happiness or a longer state of unhappiness is your choice? And I guess when we're talking about that happiness, as much as we want to morph that into contentment, right? So when we're saying, you know, things don't buy you happiness, things don't make you happy, this is nothing new. Your mom, your dad, your grandparents, they've all told you this. I guess that striving to always have more stuff has got to be stressful, right? I mean, It is stressful. And, you know, it's funny. We said this in other shows. I I started a show and never finished it on quotes and things from people that were over the age of 100 Mm -hmm. and interviews and constant themes from them and that was one of the questions they asked them they said you know when when were the happiest or whatever and people that were over 100 consistently said life uh, i don't look at as happy or unhappy i look at it as at peace and in conflict they didn't look back on their life and say okay oh these were happy times Mm -hmm. Um, that wasn't uh, a major priority for them at over 100 so that's kind of interesting that when we look in retrospect, it's not necessarily. But then when we look ahead, we're like, oh, I just want to be happy. But right. when we look back, that's not uh, the defining factors of things that really influenced us, which I found that pretty interesting. Well, do you think that we think in happiness is always as always a future term? Well, I think we do. Because um, we're going to be it, happy when. Right. I'm going to be or happy when, when I pay off what, my mortgage. Yeah. I'm going to be happy when, you know, exactly. I'll be happy when I buy this new couch, this new, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I know. I, I think I think we do get caught up in that because happiness is a present moment that we need to be, you know, again, I'm, we're not therapists, right? So no. that whole, you know, you need to be happy with yourself and you need to be happy where you are. And, okay, that's all fine and good. And I agree with that. But that's definitely all in the present. 
again, you buy something new, you're happy with it for that moment. Oh, it's a new toy. Yes, yeah. it is, and it does, but it doesn't sustain. No, no. If you buy a brand new car within what did we say three months or, or something two like months that, like that, yeah. it's just your car. Because possessions, they are stressful, right? They mm-hmm. require maintenance. I mean, you have to clean it, you have to organize it, you have to take care of it, you have to get the oil you changed find on a it. Place for it. We got it exactly, and so those things bring actually more stress. I don't remember what show we talked about the fact of, uh, you know, those rose-colored glasses and those phrases where they mm-hmm. came from, that spending money on experiences actually has long-term positive effects, where spending money on possessions actually has a decrease over time. So they, like, depreciate. Mm-hmm. But your memories of the experiences that you have actually get stronger and better over time. Like, you know, okay, we were Disney and it was 100 degrees and the line, everything was over an hour long. And so we were kind of miserable at that moment. But when we look back, we don't remember that. Our rose colored glasses take us to, oh my God, it was so much fun and we did this and we did that. Because experiences get greater over time where possessions lose value over time. Well, I mean, let's think about that for one moment. You know, when you sit there and you think about, oh, remember that camping trip that we took on, you know, I, I don't know, Myrtle Beach, and we did, we just had a tent, and we just slept in sleeping bags, and oh man, it was great. You didn't have a car, air conditioning, you know, but right. your memory of that is so profound that you just want to relive it. You know, you want to experience it again. Right, and we could all have endless. You know, we went and camped at Kickapoo, and it was over, literally over a hundred degrees mm-hmm. air temperature. We cooked. Or dinner over a fire. Mm-hmm. It was over a hundred <laughs> degrees outside. Okay, at that moment, that wasn't very pleasant. But boy, I look at that now and I think, my goodness, that was such a, a wonderful, fun wonderful night time. of cooking over a fire at a hundred degrees. Right. Exactly. Um, experiences get better over time, generally, and stuff uh, stuff just becomes. Stuff. Stuff. And then you get aggravated because like, man, where am I going to put this now? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so understanding that things are never going to make us happy. No. On to four. They applaud the success of others. 100%. Always. Everybody does better when everybody does better. Period. But I, I agree with this 100% because when we celebrate the success of others, then that gives that person the idea that they can celebrate somebody else's success. Yeah, and it moves point. on and moves on. And then what ends up happening, just like we talked about earlier with the Japanese children, is that they learn to collaborate. They learn to right. bring thoughts together. And then if everybody succeeds, then... The, everybody succeeds. Everybody right, succeeds. Exactly. The company, the you, the whatever. Right. As you say all the time, we're not an island. No. Right? We're social beings. And, you know, it really comes down to a lot of people become jealous of what other people have. And Isn't we've all been the there. Truth, but yeah. we've all been there, sure, right? Yeah. We've all been jealous of somebody had something that we wanted or somebody had something bigger and better that we wanted. You know, that happens. Accept it. Don't beat yourself up about it. Or learn to channel uh, so, that. Right. It, but just be happy for them. Right. right. You can still be happy for them, even though they got something maybe that you wanted. Well, and I think that jealousy kind of in itself gets a bad rap sometimes. Because when you're feeling jealousy, if you're feeling, if I'm jealous of you because you have this big house and you have that, then that's the wrong type of jealousy. Be Using jealousy as a motivator, go, you know, I'd really like to have 
we just spoke that things don't make you happy. But right. I'd really like to have that knowledge. I'm jealous that you may have that to that degree, but if I use that to go, you know, I'm going to better myself oh, in whatever form that is, right. I think it could be channeled better. But you being jealous of somebody's house, car, thing, thing it's a waste of time. Yeah, because it's not going to last. Right? No. It's not going to, that moment is not going to last. They're going to get something even bigger and better than that. Or they're going to get something worse. Right, you know? exactly. <laughs> it was interesting, though, We again, we've talked about this in other shows, too, that research, I think it was out of Harvard, found that, you know, the giving and receiving process, that when you're, you give, you obviously feel good about that, mm-hmm. right? And when you receive, we obviously like getting presents, and we feel good about that. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing out of this study was that they found that the people that observed the giving and the receiving also had the same level of happiness, per se, that they did in the giving and the receiving. And so that was a really a breakthrough. That So not only do you get it when you give and receive, but just when you observe it. So people pay attention, right? And if we drug that home in a show, every show we've done, people pay attention to what you're doing, what you're saying. You might not think they are. They are. People are watching. Your kids are watching. Your coworkers are watching. Mm-hmm. The people in your car are watching how you relate to the guy that just cut you off. People are always watching us right. of how we're going to respond. So when you are a giving, loving, caring, compassionate person, even to yourself... Because people know when you feel like a failure. Mm-hmm. When you're, when they see that, that is an example to them. And that gift, and we've said and shows that the greatest gift that you can give is to be a gracious receiver. Right. So right. understanding that people pay attention and that happiness that you get from giving, whatever that means or whatever that looks like, other people are getting equally from your giving and your receiving too. Absolutely. And again, we're not talking about possessions. We could be talking about knowledge. We could be oh, talking about compassion. Exactly, just caring about another person, being there to support another person in anything like that. I exactly. mean, it could be a possession, but it certainly doesn't have to be. Right. Going out of your way to help somebody that you don't even know. Going out of your way to help somebody that you know needs something that's never going to ask because of their pride or whatever because of whatever. And just graciously being there mm-hmm. to sit with them or to take care of something, just being good. You know, we did a whole show on why be good. Mm-hmm. And we talked about why our culture values being good. Well, this is one reason why people value being good, because it makes a difference. And it, it ripples down into the people that you're affecting and the people that you have no idea that's even watching. Go, go watch them show five people you meet in heaven is a perfect example of the book read the book most of the time you have no idea what effect that you are having on other people you have no idea absolutely so just be gracious be kind and let that be your legacy fantastic well let's talk about number five they know things wouldn't be easy yeah, <laughs> because if they not. were, everybody would do it. The right. thing that your grandparents say. The easy way doesn't develop you as a person. No, <laughs> I and I say that with a caveat of providing that you learn from your perceived failures, right? Because the more successes that you have, the more failures you're going to have. The more you try, the more you're not going to succeed. It just is. So you can't expect that it's going to be perfect every time. Though we want it to be. Certainly. I totally understand that, too. I mean, every time I work on a project, I want it to be perfect every single time right. I deliver it. Even though I say up at the beginning, 
This will not be perfect. We right. will have to modify it. But in my mind, in my feelings, I want it to be perfect. I understand right. that. Right. That's understanding that the hard way is generally going to be harder. Yes. <laughs> and, and, okay, let me repeat that. Understanding that the hard way is generally going to be harder. How many people do really do not cognitively understand that doing it the harder way, they think it's not going to be harder? I did. I changed it this way, and now I, this is just so much harder. You think? <laughs> you know? I mean, you're going to ride through the the hills versus the flat. Well, this is really hard. Yeah. Well, and and with that caveat to that is, it's always going to be harder if you don't practice that. Right. Exactly. Perfection is in the practice. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Until it's not, it's going to be harder until it gets easier. But that's, and that's true with anything. It's going to be harder until it gets easier. Right. Yeah. And then one day it'll be easier. Yeah. Then you'll be presented with another challenge and you will start this process all over again. Exactly. But it will make you grow as a person. I do genuinely promise that. You know, I, I have been in situations where I didn't want to learn and I've been in situations where I've had to learn. And now I'm definitely in the position that I want to learn it. You know, right. I know it's going to be hard and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I think I used to believe that everything was better the hard way. Boy, <laughs> I, I paid a price for that over the years. And I think that older I've gotten, the wiser I've gotten. And I think we really need to look at sometimes the significance of the outcome. Is the, If I take the much, much harder route, is the outcome significantly better? Or is it just maybe a little bit better? You know, I'm an example. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go run a marathon. It is a part-time job to train for a marathon, <laughs> to do really well at it, right. right? It is a part-time job. You know, back in the day, I wanted to run a marathon in X time. Well, that required a lot of investment that required a lot of hard work. If I was going to do it today, I'm not going to work that hard because I really don't care that time. As long as I finish you know, in front of the balloons where they're taking you off the course, I would be okay with that. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't necessarily work as hard at that today as I would have 10, 20 years ago. Right. And that's right. okay. So is the outcome going to be significantly better too? So you have to weigh that. Well, and really, it was about you. You weren't running the race against everybody else. You were running it against you. Oh, exactly. I wasn't going to beat the Kenyans, no matter how much I practiced, no matter how hard I worked. So yeah, it was all about me. Well, isn't that the truth about just about everything? Though, yeah, you know, I I think I'm a failure at things that you look at me and think I'm crazy. Mm -hmm. So it's all a matter of perception. Perspective. That's what we say. But there was a really interesting article from Harvard again that found that humans have evolved into prioritizing efficiency over accuracy, which I found really interesting. And I thought, hmm, is that true? (laughs) A lot of times, efficient is easier. So we believe that things that are not true because it's easier to believe, even if they're not accurate. Isn't that the world that we're living in today? 100%. People find it easier to, to believe stuff that is not true than actually take the personal responsibility and being authentic and believing things that are actually true. Mm-hmm. So that is, we've actually evolved to that as a people, according to Harvard. Isn't that interesting? I think that's that very have, interesting. That it is because we have evolved to be more efficient than to be accurate, and that is also true in our belief system, which I find troubling. But it's one reason why we tend to believe things that are not true. And just remember, that word easier is in there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I found it, that, that is fascinating. Yeah, I read the whole study on that, and it was <laughs> I found it troubling because it's... 
But it explains a lot more about why people want to believe things that aren't true because it's easier. It's harder to be authentic. It's harder to take responsibility for yourself. It's harder to say, okay, I used to believe that, and now I've acquired some more information, and maybe I don't believe that anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, it's hard to change harder. a belief. It is. It's much harder. So on to number six, right? Can't isn't part of their vocabulary. <laughs> well, you say that all the time. <laughs> can't, never, and should. Worthless words. Uh, can't, never, did anything. But a strong, emotionally, people have balance. You have to be the doer, but you also have to know when to just be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a whole therapy session the other day on that, is finding the balance between doing and being. Finding that middle ground, which is different for everybody, and because uh, it's much easier for me to extreme on the doing than it is on the being. And we're back to number one, right? You can't feel, you can't move through the sadness if you don't be so right and um, i mean it is fair to say that when you say you can't do something you are 100 percent correct about right. that well can't and no i don't want to two completely different things yes they <laughs> are two complete so know the difference and i can say for me i have gotten clouded in that through my life that of can't and no i don't want to well because what it we and we can say this with 100% accuracy, when you say you can't do something, that is not your fault. When you uh, don't want to do something, that means you have to take responsibility for wow, it. Wow, back to the last one, yeah, of making it easier. It is much easier to say I can't. Yeah, than, because, that, because you yeah. can't blame me for that. I uh, can't do that. That's you know, powerful, I can't, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just... And it, no, is a, no is an accountability. Is a, it is. Is my choice. It's I'm saying no. Good one on that. Seven, they don't settle. They no, want the best really? for themselves, and they seek it out. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, good. They hang out with people who fit their future. Six people was, you surround yourself yeah, with? Yeah, exactly. I thought that was interesting. Harvard, again, research stated that the normal path to human endeavor is to become competent enough that we are not immediately aware of blatant limitations. So it usually takes mm. about a year, and then not to improve after that. So we usually invest for about a year. And then we plateau, and then we're okay with the status quo after that. So the normal path for human endeavors is to become competent enough that we are not immediately aware of our limitations, which that usually takes so about a year. wild. Okay, so I'm going to put that in perspective. When I learned a new program, this is 100% accurate. I will invest right about a year into it. And then I, it's like, and I plateau, and I'm like, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Uh, that we is become so more, wild. We become more competent in our skills and abilities over the following years, but we do not continue to improve. Oh my gosh, so we might that get is a little bit better at it, but we don't necessarily improve and continue our. You know, Othello Bach talked about the fact that when you learn how to tie your shoes, there's a hundred different ways to tie your shoes. Mm-hmm. Once you learn how to tie your shoes, you don't ever learn how to tie your shoes a different way because right. you know how to tie your shoes, and so you just tie your shoes the same way. Same concept. That is so wild. We become competent enough that we're not immediately aware of blatant limitations. So we don't (laughs) see those things, and it usually happens in about a year. that interesting? That is fascinating. So, And I can see the don't settle. I guess in my mind, I'm thinking we settle all the time, whether we realize it or not. Um, Right. There were so many ways I could have went with that. Right. Most things, when you Google it in, they go with personal relationships or whatever. Oh, gotcha. But that's been done to death, so I went in a different way. But yet we... You can't exceed and excel at everything, right? right? You just can't. You're not going to be good at everything. Yeah. So you have to find things that are good enough 
and things that you want to excel. I mean, it's just... It, I think it that's exists. a fair point. I think that is a very accurate point because that's what everybody thinks, and especially in this new kind of agey thing, that you have to be great at everything. Yeah. Impossible. I'm not even good at everything. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, it, it, so you do settle or you accept certain right. things. Right, yeah, that's probably a better way to say it. We, mm-hmm. You accept your limitations, as mm-hmm. this is talking about, and that's okay. That I'm, I'm, that I'm to this level at this, and I'm okay with that. Exactly, yeah. And then if you're not, then you keep working and you continue to improve. But 100% most of the time, that. we get to that year point, and we're okay with this, and then we move on to something else. That is so fascinating to me. So the eighth and final one of the eight powerful habits of emotionally strong people, they welcome change. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know that anybody <laughs> welcomes change. I Maybe they accept that, that change is a happen. process mm-hmm. and accept that change is the only thing that's consistent, but I don't know they welcome it. Well, and we've talked about this in other shows, how change is inevitable. It is yeah. going to happen. It's the only way we grow. Yeah, that's the only way it's going to happen. But I agree with your assessment on that. They know it's going to happen. Again, nobody welcomes it. Right, I agree with you. I thought they just was... don't fight the water when it's gushing down. Right. Well, that's a great way to say it. You know, we ride the rapid down rather than trying to paddle upstream. Exactly. Um, It's interesting that Harvard Business Review said that the best way to embrace change is to emphasize on the ways that they stay the same. Yes. Hmm. I think that 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 eases the pain a little bit of the change, especially when you're dealing with business and this employees and you're going to have to change this. If you can focus on the things that are going to stay the same, Mm -hmm. you're going to have a lot more buy-in than focus on all these drastic things that are going to change. And if you teach communications, they talk about, you know, different ways that you communicate different modes, right? Whether Mm -hmm. it be an email or a letter or whatever, and where you put the bad news. Some you Uh put it in right off the bat. Most of the time you put the bad news towards the bottom and that's why. Right, because you want to focus on the good stuff before you're trying to implement some kind of change, but emphasize on the things that will stay the same. That's great. I, I, I never even thought about that. But, yeah, if you were sitting there thinking, you know, it's going to change, it's going to change, you got all that anxiety, all those feelings that you're feeling, and instead of just kind of knowing it's going to happen, embracing it, do, well, you've talked about that in other shows, 10%. Right, just do it a piece at a time. Exactly. A little tick at a time, right. You know, and you can't have a fear or belief that the change is going to diminish or delete something. But even though Mary Provolonis, when she was with us, she said, you know, change involves losing something. Mm-hmm. We talked about symbolic loss. And you talked about your job. Mm-hmm. Right? You hated your job. You wanted out of that job. But then you lost your job. But then you felt lost and you felt you, you were sad over the too. loss. And you were like, this is crazy. I hated that job. Well, that just makes sense, right? Because change involves losing something well and i think it's fair to say that you also need to know your, your kind of personality trait a lot of mine is my identity is wrapped up in the things that i do yeah and i just know that it, going into it like when we do the show or we do my identity is wrapped up into that you know and a lot of people that have the separation of work and home life that is fantastic and i think that if that works for you that works for you However, it doesn't necessarily work for my personality traits. And, you know, when I lost a job, like you said, I hated it. A part of me was taken away, if you will. I think that we need to understand that losing something means you're going to go through the grieving process Mm -hmm. for that. The same as anything else. It may be greater for some losses. It may be much smaller for losses. But, you know, you're going to have a withdrawal from 
everything that you lose, you know, whether it be a job or a person or um, a death or anything, right? A change means you're losing something. It doesn't mean that what you're getting could be far superior. Right. But it's okay to understand that you're going to have a symbolic loss for the thing that you lost, even though you're happy about the things that you're gaining. And a lot of times the change that you're happening, you may be happy about, but you're still going to have that loss. And you can have you can feel all of those things and that's okay and it's important for you to feel because like we're right. talking about let, let's say you're moving to a different state it may be for a great job it may be for a great partner it doesn't matter what that the reason you're moving and you're really happy and you're excited but at the same time you're feeling anxious and you're feeling bad because you're leaving whatever's there behind yeah so it is important to feel that Exactly. And to know that, you know, it's okay to go through that process. And because, when you're losing something that you perceive as bad, like your job, you know, you mm-hmm. felt guilty about that. That why, should, why am I feeling bad about losing something I couldn't stand? It just, it is. And it's okay. It's okay to have all of those emotions around the same thing. The happy, the sad, the fear, the anger, the whatever. It's okay to experience all of those things around the same change. Exactly. And that's perfectly normal. And just as long as you don't dwell in the self-pity of it all. Fact number one. There exactly. you go. <laughs> it's a, it's a Feel big the cycle, isn't it? <laughs> it, is, it is. It is. It is a big cycle. And the, and the more we can embrace it, um, the more we can practice some of these things, mm-hmm. the more emotionally strong we're going to be that's going to help us move through that sadness, not get stuck in the self-pity, help us to understand that change happens. All these things that we're talking about we can move through them happier, healthier, and hopefully bring other people along and be an example of how to do it maybe a little bit better. Absolutely. And there you have it, folks, the eight powerful habits of emotionally strong people. So you know what? I think we should put them in practice every time we talk about this. Easier said than done. But you know what? Try. Exactly. That's all you can That's do That's all is you can try. do is do your best. Understand that at the end of the day, uh, tomorrow you might be able to do it better than today. And that's okay. It's a journey. It's a journey. (laughs) So we're about out of time for this show, and we have some great news. Starting January 1st, 2022, you can find our show at livingonpurposepodcast.com or any of the podcast platform like Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher. Just search Living on Purpose Podcast and subscribe to the podcast or look us up on Facebook and give us a like and let us know what you want to add to this new show. That's right. So live every day of your life. On purpose. On purpose.